deals and deadlines with the nation's debt limit on the line. It's a busy week in Congress with lingering uncertainty over the fate of the president's infrastructure bill. We'll talk with Congressman Andre Carson and Congressman Greg Pence, plus Congressman Jim Banks from Fort Wayne pushing back against the president's vaccine mandates. All that and the latest on the legal battle over the governor's emergency powers. Now on this week's edition of In Focus. I wouldn't use the word surprise. Big developments this week in the legal battle between the governor and the General Assembly. A judge siding with the legislature saying they do have the power to call themselves into session during a public health emergency to review the governor's emergency orders, a move that Governor Holcomb had challenged. We'll talk about that later today with our panel. We're also following a number of headlines in the nation's capital. Congress reaching a deal on the debt ceiling, but still at odds over big parts of the president's agenda. This is President Biden and federal health officials defend their plans to get more Americans vaccinated against COVID-19. Jesse Turnor has the latest. I've tried everything in my power to get people vaccinated. Nearly 190 million Americans are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. And President Biden hopes the U.S. soon adds more children to that number. There is no other way to beat the pandemic than to get the vast majority of Americans vaccinated. Those 12 and older can get the Pfizer vaccine. But the company just asked the FDA to approve the shot for kids 5 to 11. Americans 18 and older can get the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson vaccines. We have to beat this thing. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says vaccinations are important to not only protect kids from the pandemic, but also the flu. Children, especially under five, who are at risk of severe complications from the flu. For older Americans, the Biden administration is also working to increase COVID booster shots. We estimate that 4 million Americans have now rolled up their sleeves and gotten a booster shot. The FDA approved Pfizer's booster for those 65 and older and certain high-risk people. Authorizations for Moderna and Johnson & Johnson boosters are likely on the way. This work is clearly paying off. The White House COVID-19 response team reports cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are down, but says tens of millions of unvaccinated Americans need to roll up their sleeves to continue that progress. In Washington, I'm Jesse Tenor. All right, Jesse, thank you. Meantime, a congressman from Northeast Indiana, Republican Jim Banks, is drafting legislation to push back against the, fe the president's federal vaccine mandates. The Constitution is clear. The president enforces the laws and Congress makes laws. And uh, this is another gross violation of that basic constitutional principle that the Biden administration is completely ignoring. Congressman Banks has drafted a bill that would block any requirements. Indiana AG Todd Rokita also pushing back on the mandate. Last month, President Biden announced that OSHA is developing a rule requiring all private employers with at least 100 workers to require the vaccine or weekly testing for those who don't get the shot. We could be getting more details on that soon. Also this week, Congress reaching a deal on the debt ceiling, at least for now, but they're still trying to come together on the infrastructure bill. Today, we're hearing from Indiana lawmakers on both sides of the aisle including Congressman Andre Carson, who spoke about the fight within his own party in an interview with our Kristen Eskow. Do you plan to join your fellow members of the Progressive Caucus and vote against the bipartisan bill if you can't get a deal done on the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill? Well, I think a deal is critically important. I think that many of the issues that the Progressive Caucus is pushing for 
especially as it relates to jobs, infrastructure, uh, families, uh, the indigent, um, the climate change um, uh, are, are things that, that we have to get past. Uh, President Biden reassured many progressives uh, in his attendance of our Democratic caucus meeting that uh, he stands with progressives and a progressive agenda. And, you know, he, he really outlined in his remarks what is at stake for our country if our Republican friends continue to block Democratic efforts to address the debt limit and avoid economic uh, catastrophe. And, you know, when, when, when Donald Trump was president, uh, Republicans in Congress raised the debt ceiling or the debt limit three times, each with Democratic support. But now they won't raise the debt limit, even though they're responsible for it. So I think it's time that we get very serious. Um, you know, the, the congressional Republicans in the previous administration, they racked up $8 trillion in debt which is nearly a quarter of all of the debt, in part to give the wealthiest Americans a tax giveaway. So would you be willing then to vote against the bipartisan infrastructure package to get that human infrastructure package through? Well, it's something that we're going to have to negotiate. You know, I, I, I think what happens is you get monumental pieces of legislation through Congress and you go back and make corrections or you make it better as time goes by. We, 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 we did it with Social Security. Uh, we've done it with Medicare and Medicaid and so many other pieces of legislation and now the Affordable Care Act. And so for me, my first priority is to the people of the 7th Congressional District and, and Hoosiers across the state. And my hope is, is that what the progressives, my progressive colleagues, because I am a progressive, are calling for it's not insurmountable. Uh, it's not unreasonable. Uh, these are things that the American people want and need. And they sent us to Congress to be trustees and stewards over their taxpayer interest and in dollars. What do you make of this feud happening within your party? And, and would you be willing to support a human infrastructure bill that is less than $3.5 trillion? Well, I think a human uh, infrastructure bill is critically important. Uh, some would say that uh, 3.5 is too low. It should be $5 trillion. Uh, I think what is important is that, you know, in any caucus, Republican caucus or Democratic caucus, when you have tens of people, hundreds of people, you obviously will have philosophical and political differences. Finally, I wanted to ask you about the redistricting bill becoming law this week. That's making your new district final next year. What are your yeah. thoughts on your new district boundaries and how will you be working to reach those new voters in your district? You know, um, for, for, for me, I, I never, ever, ever uh, take any election for granted. Um, uh, I never want to take constituents for granted, regardless of the makeup. My commitment is to work hard, to introduce myself to folks I've, I've yet to meet, uh, to reaffirm those who have voted for me, that I'm still here to represent their interest. And regardless of the makeup of the district, my objective is to represent Hoosiers in Indiana in the best way possible and bring back resources to our state and our city. And Dan, those districts take effect after next year's elections. Yeah, Chris, and it's interesting what's happening in Marion County and in Indianapolis, right? Carson's district kind of shifts north, and Congressman Greg Pence, if reelected, takes over southern Indianapolis. You spoke with him this week as well. 
Yeah, well, you spoke about his new district, what that will look like, shifting from southeast right. Indiana more to east central Indiana. We also talked about the fight in Congress, of course, over the president's infrastructure plan. Congressman Pence obviously sharing a much different opinion on that. The infrastructure debate is ongoing in Congress. You had told me back in the summertime that you plan to vote against the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Do you still plan to vote against that bill? Well, uh, when you say there's a debate in Congress, the debate now is between the progressives and the Democrats. Uh, last week, I was out in D.C. sitting around waiting for a vote. Uh, I, I want to, let's separate the infrastructures, okay, because the progressive, who are 96 members in the Democratic Party, have said they are not going to have an infrastructure bill unless they take the 1.2 and the 3.5 or whatever that number is and put those two together. So yes, I will absolutely vote against that. Now, when you talk about the hard infrastructure bill, only $110 billion goes to road bridges and the things we'd like to see. Only half of it even goes to anything that resembles infrastructure. And frankly, I know I'm here at uh, Indianapolis Station. Unfortunately, I rep uh, most of the funds will go to urban and at the expense of rural. So it's literally rural will be paying to upgrade the infrastructure in urban areas where, and let's not pick on Indiana because we've done a great job here in taking care of our roads and bridges compared to other states, but let's pick on Chicago, okay? I don't want southern Indiana or in, even any of Indiana paying for fixing uh, Chicago's roads and bridges. So even if the bills were separated, if they were not linked, those two, the human infrastructure bill and what you call the hard infrastructure bill, you still have some issues with that hard infrastructure bill. I do, and I don't want to get into the social issues. There are some social issues. Uh, uh, the Hyde Amendment, uh, you know, some of the monies can go to do uh, things that, that I am personally against. But I would be against the $1.2 uh, trillion dollar infrastructure bill because it short, it short sheets uh, rural America. And the infighting in the Democratic Party right now, they're going to have to work all these things out. They couldn't get a budget a budget bill put together, so we're kicking it down the road. So they're not getting anything done because they're fighting. So I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna eat popcorn. So why vote then against that government funding bill since it was not linked to the debt ceiling in that final vote? I'll just let them work it out. I mean, all we're doing is, do we're not doing anything. I, I came to Congress, I've only been a congressman for three years, almost three years now. My previous life, we got things done, you work things out. I, I work on a bipartisan basis on a lot of other things. I think next week, I'm actually gonna have, we're gonna have a hearing on a bipartisan bill that I've sponsored. But when you can't get anything done yourself, I'm not gonna help you do it. Finally, I wanted to ask you about your new congressional district. Just became law this week when the governor signed the redistricting bill. Uh -huh. What are your thoughts on, on the new boundaries for your district and how will you be, uh, I guess, reaching out to those yeah. voters? So, well, um, I will be the congressman for the existing Indiana 6th district until uh, January 1st of 2023 or whatever date that becomes. And so I'm gonna concentrate and take care of uh, my constituents uh, I've talked to my peers that are that are going to take some of my district and vice versa. And we're between now and the end of the year, we're going to focus on our districts, and then we'll get out a little bit, get to know some folks. I, I grew up in southern Indiana. I, I uh, Johnson County is what I'll pick up, and and the southern part of Marion County. I've been to those places many many times. Did business there. Know a lot of folks. 
Greg Pence there with our Kristen Escal. This week, we're also hearing from Congressman Pence's brother, the former VP, raising eyebrows in an interview about January 6th. We'll talk with our panel about that coming up. Also ahead, we'll hear from Indiana's Attorney General joining the fight against Facebook. More reaction to the ruling against Governor Holcomb in the case over his emergency powers. State Senator Rod Bray saying, we're pleased, though we have disagreed with the governor over this law. We have and will continue to work with him. Kristen Eskow spoke with the governor and the AG on Friday. We're going to review it and we'll, we'll contemplate what steps might follow. Does that mean you plan to appeal? Does not mean I plan to do anything at the moment. I'm very open-minded at this. Um, we've got time. I was a real win for the people. You know, that's what this has always been about. And, and uh, I'm proud of my team. They did an excellent job of, of defending the people's rights. All right, let's bring in our panel now to discuss this legal fight and the rest of this week's top stories. With us today on Zoom, UIndy political science professor Dr. Laura Wilson and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel, here in studio, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, and Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org. Abdul, I'm going to start with you. The governor has prevailed, and the AG has lost on a lot of these fights in court up until this ruling on Thursday. Where, where is this headed now? Uh, it's headed for the Court of Appeals. Uh, and if you read the decision, it's actually a 28-page decision. About 24 pages, the, the state, uh, the governor actually won a lot of procedural motions, but on the big issue, which was the constitutionality of the law that lawmakers passed, that's where the, the AG's team won. I got to give major props uh, to Tom Fisher, who was Solicitor General, uh, who actually argued the case. Now, once again, this is just a first step in a very long process. You got the Court of Appeals, you got the end of the Supreme Court, so this isn't over by a long time. And you time. think the governor will appeal, despite I, him there saying, not sure what. I mean, they're still looking over the right. decision right now, but they're, they're pretty much going to appeal. Okay. Jennifer, what does this mean long term here for the state, constitutionally, but also in this fight against COVID 19? Um, yeah, I think I agree with Abdul. I think the governor will probably wind up appealing this, and this is the first in many steps uh, toward the resolution of this. Um, I don't know what it means. Um, I think that the governor has had the winning argument all along on this and in having uh, the right to convene the General Assembly um, and call lawmakers into session. Obviously, this judge disagreed. Um, I think, you know, again, in, in fact, for COVID-19, against COVID-19, rather, um, it's probably not going to have a huge effect, but I think they need to get it right for future emergency situations. And Tony, your response to all that, and what does this mean for Governor Holcomb politically? It hurts him politically at all. It's one step in the process, and, and it might still continue, as the others have said. I look at the big picture. The bigger picture is the governor, uh, for the most part, has steered this state correctly through a very... Uh, a troubling and difficult situation with COVID-19. Now, not everybody's happy with them. And, and the legislature, I think, did what they thought was best because the other bigger picture, and I said this before, but for our New York viewers, um, you've got to look at the other states. Look at the overreach from all of these Democrat governors that abuse their power, that shut down small businesses, that cost people their lives and their livelihoods, that's what this legislature and any legislature okay. should want to avoid uh, in the future. And so I think, you know, these folks work together well. They're, they've okay. done a lot of great things for the state. The state is in great fiscal shape, thanks to the legislature and the governor working together. And okay. uh, there's a bigger picture here that everybody needs to be mindful of. All right, Tony, thank you. Meantime, uh, Indiana's former governor, our former VP, Mike Pence, uh, raising some eyebrows in a Fox News interview with uh, some comments about January 6th. Here's that clip. 
I know, the, I know the media wants to distract from the Biden administration's failed agenda by focusing on one day in January. They want to use that one day oh. to try and demean uh, the, the, the character and intentions of 74 million Americans who believed we could be strong again and prosperous again and supported our administration in 2016 and, and 2020. But for our part, I, I truly believe we all ought to remain completely focused on the future. Laura, a lot's been made of the, the former VP's words. They're calling uh, January 6th merely one day in January. Yeah, and obviously that's a very controversial statement, but he will still have the support of his base, probably of Donald Trump's base. He talks about that administration fondly and says that, that was the greatest honor to serve in that role. I think interesting as we look forward to what Mike Pence's future is, um, the biggest challenge will be relevancy. So making sure his name is still out there, that he still uh, has national attention. And it's hard to do, of course, when you're not in a current office, but he hasn't said he's not going to run for something. And of course, in not saying that, he said everything might be available and on the table. And Abdul, all of this as investigations continue on the events of January 6th, and as Laura mentioned, as the former VP tries perhaps to potentially launch a presidential campaign of his own in 2024. Yes, and uh, Mike's a good friend, but Mike Pence saying that January 6th is another day is like saying the Great Chicago Fire 150 years ago was just an urban cookout. I mean, it was, it was a serious insurrection against this country. Now, was it all Trump supporters? No, it wasn't. Was it 74 million people? No. But you had 1,000 people literally try to stop the democratic process from going forward. Uh, I think Mike is trying to stay relevant in the discussion as we go forward uh, toward 2024, but I don't think that type of rhetoric will help him with the broader electorate that he's going to need to win. And we'll see what happens in 2024. So much depends on whether or not President Trump, former President Trump, makes another run for it himself. Jennifer, meantime, the current president uh, facing some difficult political waters, approval numbers that have been dropping, disappointing jobs numbers Friday. It's still not clear whether he can get Democrats together to agree on these two big infrastructure bills. That is not clear, and it's not a great time to, uh, you know, to be Joe Biden and to have those things happening. However, I have faith, and I've said this many, many times on this show, that his calm and steady leadership style will get, get us through to a better place. And we saw that. You know, we saw Mitch McConnell uh, agreeing to go ahead and uh, you know, kind of punt the, uh, punt the ball on the debt ceiling issue. I think that behind the scenes, uh, what's going on is actual government governing, and what you see in the headlines is a lot of distraction. Tony, what do you make of this, this debt ceiling fight with some Republican senators like Senator Braun coming out and saying, quote, the goal is not to have our fingerprints on lifting the debt ceiling. Is, is that the right way to approach all of this? Well, I think somebody needs to say that and, and somebody needs to make that case because we're approaching quickly approaching a $30 trillion national debt. That's just not the way you, you, you run your, your households or, or your businesses and it shouldn't be the way that we run the country. And, and just to, uh, you know, Joe Biden, uh, having steady leadership when you're making bad decisions, it doesn't comfort me at all if, if uh, he's got a steady hand when he's just so poor at making decisions. And, th and that's when you look at the inflation and the trillions of dollars they want to add uh, and putting more folks on government dependency, that's going to cause more folks uh, out of the workforce. You were supposed to have 500,000 uh, new jobs and you had less than uh, 200,000. And it's been, uh, you know, we've got 5 million less jobs than we did in February of 2020 when COVID started. And that's, that's uh, poor leadership. Jennifer, your reaction to that? I mean, it's, it's what I 
expect Tony to say because it's what he's going to say. Um, I think, again, the steady hand of leadership. And look, governing is really hard. Um, being a leader is really hard. And doing these things takes time and patience. And you know, I'm not going to do what Tony just did and say, Joe Biden did inherit Donald Trump's uh, legacy. For better or worse, that's what he's dealing with. But, Laura, these polling numbers certainly uh, are giving Democrats some pause as they see the president's uh, approval numbers slipping here in recent weeks and months. They're not great, um, but they're not necessarily unanticipated or unexpected. Certainly after Afghanistan, the president's poll numbers dropped. Uh, but you usually see that around this period in terms of uh, end of the honeymoon period, end of the first arbitrary 100-day marker, right? Presidents aren't able to accomplish what they said. They do have to work with Congress. It is really hard. It, I think the consolation here is that there is no election next month. We've got a year and a month for that. Um, and that is something that certainly the Biden administration, Democrats are going to want to work on, but they also do have some time to work on it. All right. Thanks uh, to our panel. They'll be back here in just a few minutes. Coming up next, talking about Facebook. Indiana's AG joining the fight against the social media giant. We're going to hear from him coming up after the break. Pretty rough week in the news for Facebook. A system outage that lasted multiple hours. The 60 Minutes whistleblower report and the testimony in Congress from that same whistleblower. Now attorneys general from around the country fighting back against Facebook, including Indiana AG Todd Rokita. What we're finding is that Facebook and the like are no different than other predators that we see in our office. Rokita says he'll take action to see if any of Facebook's practices harm Indiana consumers if there's any legal recourse for him to take. All right, stick around. We're back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers next. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Laura, I'll start with you. Well, my winners are the Republicans in the Indiana State House for the Assembly. Uh, Rokita talked about this as Attorney General as a victory for the people. It's certainly a victory for the state legislature. My other winners are the Democrats. This fissure within the party could be an opportunity for them if they can take advantage. Tony. Winners are our Indiana National Guard for great work that they're doing in a very difficult situation at Camp Atterbury. Loser is the U.S. Department of Justice for their harassment of parents that are speaking up at, at school. Jennifer. Uh, yeah, check out my column in the IBJ this weekend about that uh, National Guard situation. Um, shameless self-promotion. Um, my winner is former U.S. Senator Joe Donnelly, uh, nominated on Friday uh, to be the uh, next ambassador to the Vatican. All right, Abdul. My winner is the citizen of Indianapolis uh, in the fight against crime. we got new technology uh, introduced this week that will hopefully help get our crime problem and our record murder rate under control. All right, we'll leave it there. Our thanks to the panel. Our thanks to you for watching. We'll see you again on next week's edition of In Focus.